Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Law Farm Podcast. From planting a seed to enjoying a meal, we all play a part in sustaining the growth of our local food systems. No matter what has brought you here, I hope you leave with some new ideas about supporting the food systems that support us all. The guests on the Law Farm Podcast are people doing work that inspires me, and I hope that inspiration keeps spreading. I'm your host, Michelle Namer, and this is the Law Farm Podcast. Terry Hollifield has been with the Georgia Crop Improvement Association for 48 years and counting. (laughs) The association has been organized since 1946, and at its core, it's dedicated to ensuring high-quality seeds are properly grown and distributed as to ensure genetic purity and identity. In addition to being the only certification agency for seed stock in Georgia, the Georgia Crop Improvement Association is the only certifying agency for the National Organic Program that is housed in Georgia. And the association also hosts the Good Agricultural Practices Program. It hosts both the organic certification and the agricultural practices program through a subsidiary called Ag Audits LLC. And Terry has a degree in agriculture from the University of Georgia, and he has been an active member of community and agriculture associations ranging from the Barrow County Board of Commissioners to the Southeastern Wheat Alliance, which he co-founded, and many, many more, just a, a plethora of experience and knowledge. Terry also has experience with drafting Georgia's seed laws and other rules affecting seed production and distribution. Did I miss any big highlights about your Well, you, you might miss out there, and I actually am, but other than that, it's okay. You know, you're not the first person to say that, but from the outside looking in, you you are doing good things. Mover, shaker. Well, we try. We good, try. Good, good. And, um, and you start. this has been your career-long venture as being with the Georgia Crop Improvement Association. It has. It has. I uh, graduated from uh, UGA and uh, uh, was, like most new graduates, looking for a job. And uh, this opportunity became available, and so I came to work here and started off as a field inspector, mm-hmm. and uh, grew to, to the executive director position. And then, uh, somewhere in the 1990s, uh, realized that uh, for Georgia crop improvement to really grow and uh, continue to provide the uh, seed certification program, which is our core business, at an affordable price to our clients, that we needed to. Uh, look into other income ventures, uh, other ancillary programs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's when we started uh, uh, the organic, well, we started the food safety program to begin with, and then in early 2000, moved into the organic program. And we do some uh, work with universities on royalties uh, that are collected to continue, they're used to continue cultivar development. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an international turf grants program for the University of Georgia to develop varieties that are grown everywhere from uh, Thailand and China to South Africa to Spain. We have about 18 international clients. So, so we have a pretty uh, diverse uh, income portfolio, and the, the goal there is to provide services to Georgia farmers. Mm-hmm. That's what we look for. And I originally had you on my radar because this is a certifying agency for the National Organic Program. Correct. But before we go into that in more depth, mm-hmm. can you kind of break down the different programs that the Georgia Crop Improvement Association really focuses on and kind of just 
give us a quick rundown so that we're not confused about what is what and who, who is how and how. Okay. Well, our, as I said, our, our core business is seed certification, mm-hmm. and and most of those most of our uh, clients have a license with the College of Ag and Environmental Sciences at the University to take those varieties that are developed by their scientists. Uh, and there's about 20 plant breeders at the university mm-hmm. in Griffin, Tilton, and Athens. They develop everything from new peanut varieties to soybeans to tomatoes, a wide gamut of, of products there. And our goal is to make sure that through the multiplication and maintenance process that those varieties maintain their identity, mm-hmm. that they don't get contaminated with other varieties and other crops uh, and those seed of which have to uh, meet certain quality standards as relates to germination, purity, freedom of noxious weeds, and those sort of things. So when a farmer uh, purchases certified seed, he knows that there are certain standards that's met and he can be assured of receiving a quality product. And as I said earlier, then we have our, that's our seed certification program, mm-hmm. which is our core program. Mm-hmm. Then we have a uh, subsidiary uh, ag audits mm-hmm that encompasses our food safety program, Mm -hmm. which is focused on uh, those facilities that in Georgia that grow uh, and package a product. Watermelons, Vidalia onions, green beans, carrots. Now, if you you process that product, Mm -hmm. then it has to be on the Department of Agriculture. Mm -hmm. But if you're taking a watermelon or a cantaloupe and you're packaging that, then you come under our Good Agricultural Practice Program, which is done also in connection with uh, the Department of Agriculture, Georgia Fruit and Vegetable Growers, and University of Georgia Extension Service. So it's a cooperative uh, effort uh, there. We, we do the actual on-site inspecting. Uh, so that's our food safety program. And uh, then, of course, uh, our organic program is totally different. We are an uh, agent for the United States Department of Agricultural National Organic Program. We are always every 30 months to see that we remain in compliance with the program. We have required training we have to go to and do. And so those are those are our big programs that, that we administer through this office. I definitely hear you say mm-hmm. that these are services for farmers. That's right. And let's we'll start off with one of the first misconceptions that I hear mm-hmm. from farmers, and that's that they they want to be certified organic, and they're just waiting out the three years so they can keep right. records for three years sure. and then sure. seek that certification sure. later on. Right. And in speaking with you off the mic, you immediately were like, no, we have so much to offer to help them get there. Can you talk about we that do. situation? We, we, we have... Uh, Obviously, uh, one of the tenets of the National Organic Program is uh, you have to have land that's uh, been free of any commercial pesticides or herbicides, fertilizers, uh, for, th- for three years. And uh, we have what's known as a jump start program because you have to have some method uh, to document that that land has not had uh, fertilizers or pesticides applied within three years. So, for an example, if, if you were uh, taking a piece of land that has been in conventional agriculture and you want to start that three-year program, then you would apply to us. We would, we would uh, uh, come to your farm, meet with you, and we would begin the document, documentation process by looking at the land to, to see that no, uh, no prohibited substances have been approved within those three years. And we would do this annual inspection. So at the end of three years, 
you automatically have your documentation of, of being eligible to produce an organic crop there. So that's our Jumpstart program. If you don't go into the Jumpstart program, then we require some affidavits from county agents. We uh, uh, talk to fertilizer distributors, see if they've applied land there. We, a great deal can be, a, can be determined by looking at the land as to what's currently growing there, some things like that. But it's certainly better if, if you end the Jumpstart program and get documentation for the first three years. That makes sense. I was recently speaking to a small-scale producer, mm-hmm. and one of the greatest things he said was that he gets in touch with the people that he knows are certifying things and gets to know them and ask them questions before he makes any moves. Sure. So it just makes sense to, yeah. to call you guys up and oh, start yeah. that relationship. Yeah, and, and we're happy to talk to anybody that's, that's starting. And and I think that uh, George Organics is, a, is an excellent place to go. Mm-hmm. They're, they help, they're very knowledgeable. Their desires to help people. And so between the two of us, you should get some good information to get started. So I remember now what I wanted to start with, Mm -hmm. and that was a very layman's breakdown of what organics are. Well, (laughs) maybe not what organics are. We don't have enough time for that. But the National Organic Program, what it means and what you actually certify for. Well, the, the National Organic Program uh, is a program that uh, t- took quite some time uh, from its very beginning to acceptance. Uh, you know, when you, st- when you have a national program, it goes on the Federal Register and you have a comment period. Mm-hmm. And the comment period lasts for about 10 years. So there's been a great deal of vetting and interest that has gone, in, gone into that to get, get us to where we are. And uh, I think most everyone can understand that when you have a new program, there's a lot of changes that happen, particularly in, in the beginning. Uh, of course, the program now is, is uh, probably past infancy, it's, it's on into maturity, because starting about 2002. But it's, it's a program whose uh, uh, concept is sustainable agriculture. The idea is to be able to take uh, everything from heirloom seeds uh, and produce a product. And not only do you normally use heirloom seeds if they're available, but it's, uh, it's, it's a program where you should be able to save seed plant the uh, next year. It's a program to where you improve soil fertility by doing cover crops such as lagoon crops. They add organic matter by planting winter cover crops or crops that make uh, biomass to improve soil. It's a program that even extends into uh, uh, erosion control, what I do to prevent erosion, what's the best thing to do there, is things that move into biodiversity. If I have an area that can't be farmed, am I, am I managing that in a way to increase uh, wildlife uh, habitat? Uh, all those sorts of things. And it also moves into processor handlers. There, there are three categories. Mm-hmm. There's livestock, processor handler, and crops. And uh, in the process of handler, you say, well, wait a minute, now how, how do I make that sustainable? Well, one of the ways to make that sustainable is to determine processing methods that reduce less water, mm-hmm. less electricity, less fossil fuels in transportation, uh, or whatever it might be. Of course, there's only so far you can go, but, but making efforts to, to go in that, in, in that direction. Um, then uh, it's a little bit difficult for, for, for them to have biodiversity, but there are ways to do that. There are usually areas around a facility that's uh, 
that can be managed to provide habitat? Are, are you doing things uh, that, that doesn't hurt the environment? So those are good good things to look at. So it's it's uh, like I say, it's it's our, the organic program is not just for producers; it's also for processor handlers, and then of course livestock is production, but it's a little bit well totally different uh, process. Uh, their animal welfare comes into the livestock mm-hmm. side of the thing too, uh, like having free range for for uh, poultry. Uh, such as uh, having so many grazing days for animals, for, for cattle, those sort of things. So it's a, it's a pretty comprehensive program. Back up to the animals and the livestock. Okay. Free range is, has a horrible reputation these days as yeah. just the phrase itself. It does. it does. Can you say, can you provide any comfort to people who are concerned about that bad <laughs> reputation of free range, or is it that bad? Well, now... Now, do you think that free range has a, is, has a bad rap, or is it the fact that caged animals is, is what people don't want? Caged animals is what people don't want. That's great. And now it's becoming more of an issue that free range only means an open door that the chickens never step out of. I'd love to hear your thoughts well, on that, just generally. Well, all right, so, so that's, that's, that's a really neat point. What it says in the National Organic Program is they will have access. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you open the door and the chicken doesn't go out, mm-hmm. what, is that, what does that really come down to? We prefer to have access with some effort to get the animal to go outside. Okay. Now, now the problem that you have with that is that, well, if it's hot, the chicken doesn't want to go outside. Mm-hmm. Okay? So... So you've got to uh, kind of make some decisions about, uh, well, they've offered access, but the animals aren't taking advantage of it for what reason? Uh, let's take grazing right now, mm-hmm. okay? We've had so much rain mm-hmm. that uh, it cuts down on, on, on animals going outside and, and grazing. They may be outside, but they may not be eating because it's raining so hard. Or, or the farmer may have a situation whereby that he's got temporary grazing and cattle out in the mud is not good for the tilth of the soil. So all of those factors had to be taken into account when the auditor does his, does his on-site audit and reviews the records on how many days you have access and all those sort of things. Uh, in the wintertime in the southeast, when most of our grass goes dormant, it's hard to get enough grazing days, okay? By the same token, it's hard to get a chicken to go outside at 100 degrees. So it is, it's, it's somewhat subjective in our decision-making process. We, we just have to, the auditor has to make some decisions based on his past experience and based on what the, the NOP does. But it's, it's not as clear-cut, as, it's not a black and white decision. Right. But we, we, we do try to adhere to the intent of, of the rule, even though the, that may not be specific. But I think that a reasonable person would say, Okay, I provide access, but that means chicken goes. So, if I go to a poultry operation, and the act the outside area is green grass, then then I would start asking questions about has the chicken been out there? Right. Because chickens tend to be pretty destructive on grass. Absolutely. So, so those are the kind of things that auditor looks at, and he has to make a decision. And you mentioned you know focusing on intent because mm-hmm. it's not very black and white. 
right. all of the regulations for the organic program seem very subjective to me. They are, and, and we try through training mm -hmm. to have all of our inspectors at least using uh, as close as possible the same decision-making process mm -hmm. about how, how, how to get to that place in time. Now, some of it, uh, some of the some of the things have been made more objective, such as we we do make unannounced audits of five percent of our clients to determine if they are actually in compliance on the day we're there. Is that yearly? Uh, that's annually, okay. and that's required by NOP. The other thing we do is we do take a tissue analysis mm -hmm. and send to a laboratory at Gastonia. Uh, North Carolina, where they do analysis for uh, absence of uh, prohibitive substance. So there are some things that are analytical, mm -hmm. but most of it, as you say, is, is subjective in trying to apply uh, the intent mm -hmm. uh, of the law. Uh, it's very difficult to write a rule regulation that's specific. Sometimes. Especially with agriculture. Yeah. That leads yeah. to my next question. So many variables. You certify farms in Georgia and North Carolina and Alabama yeah. and different states. So do you often find that they're, I mean, you just end up applying different standards to different farms just because of how they're situated, where they are in their climate? Well, fortunately, the, the areas that we go mm -hmm. have, have basically the same climatic conditions, same growing season same cultural practices. So it doesn't become that difficult for us. Now, if I were a big organization that, uh, say, uh, QAI or some of those places that go over the United States, uh, and then, yeah, you'd have, you'd have to apply that. We, we, here, here, we don't necessarily have to do that, but I, I can see where some of the bigger uh, certified organizations would have to take into account uh, local, local practices. Right. Yeah. And that leads me to the question of different types of farming. Mm -hmm. Within Georgia, you have huge farms, mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of acres, right. and they farm differently than, say, an urban farming enterprise oh, yeah. that's on a small piece of property. What things would, let's maybe focus on the small urban farmer, because I think that's what most of my audience is. Sure. I don't know that a lot sure. of huge conventional farms are listening to this podcast for sure. any inspiration. But... Um, but focusing, if I were an urban farmer, what would I want to keep in mind based on those characteristics of my enterprise and getting certified? Well, quite frankly, uh, if you're farming organically, uh, there's not a significant amount of difference between doing it in southwest Georgia or doing it uh, in downtown Atlanta or a uh, subdivision where you might be able to buy two or three acre tracts of land. Mm -hmm. There, are, there would be some differences when we uh, come to things such as uh, perhaps buffer strips. Yeah. Uh, that's important. If I'm in southwest Georgia where there's a lot of intensive farming, then I do have to be significantly concerned about uh, pesticide drift. Mm -hmm. And I have to be, uh, may have to incorporate buffers or distances of some sort uh, to protect my organic crop from uh, unintended uh, drift of, of a pesticide, uh, whether it be a, her uh, a herbicide or insecticide or, or fertilizers. I would tend to think that if I'm in an urban uh, environment where it's not intensive agriculture, that I'd look around and there's no one else farming, then I don't have to worry about uh, pollen drift from a GMO crop or, or uh, pesticides or herbicides of some sort. So my auditor would certainly take all that into account. 
and probably not not be concerned about things like buffers or isolation distances, that sort of thing. In an urban environment, uh, trying to come up with how to improve biodiversity would take some real thinking to how do I do that. Do I have a separate piece of land that I don't intend to farm, but I want to manage for wildlife or insect habitat? Uh, that's something one might, uh, might uh, think about. I've actually had some people who, if uh, nowadays when we build subdivisions or we build uh, shopping centers or, or things, then we have to have a, uh, a, a pond that catches our, our runoff from our buildings and our parking lots. Mm -hmm. Is that an area that I can manage for biodiversity? It, you know, uh, probably get that for free if I manage it properly. So, so it, it does take some innovative thinking if you're in an urban environment. To, 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 but it but it can be done. It, it has been done and it can be done. And you mentioned off the record about creating a relationship with the municipalities or with the local governments if sure. there's like a piece of property that they own that they are spraying yeah. and coming up with a way to maybe mitigate yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. If you are uh, in a, uh, it depends on population density, but, but let's assume that you're well, even if you're in southwest Georgia where there's intensive farming, or even if you're in an urban environment where the county or city uh, may be providing uh, roadside uh, mowing or spraying, uh, or maybe even sometimes mosquito control, then then it is it's in the uh, best interest of the uh, producer, the organic producer, to make contact with those facilities, see what they do. Uh, some counties don't use herbicides. Some counties do. You can have a separate agreement with a municipality or, or a government that they won't uh, spray your roadside. Uh, and there is signage. People put signs up and say no spraying. You've probably seen those if you yes. if you're looking for them. So there are ways to to mitigate that, to work through that. And we found that most all governments are very receptive to modifying whatever they do. So so those things can be done. It just takes the organic producer knowing and then going to the people to work at it. it you know it takes a lot of effort but right. but it certainly can be done it, it is being done it can be done and i think it's there's just there's so many moving pieces it's hard for the organic producer to know everything it is and you mentioned how important a mentor would be right, right. Uh, besides georgia organics and this possible mentor, can you think of other resources that organic producers or people who want to be organic producers could use? To well, I, I, I think that one of the biggest limitations to uh, small producers uh, getting approved organically is it's sometimes it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Because our application, and remember this application is dictated to us by the United States Department of Agriculture, we have control over it, is 25 pages long. So when one sits down and starts reading and making that application, it, it can be overwhelming. I wish that there were more mentors that know the rules, regulations, they can work with people. Georgia Organic does a great job individually and with classes. Uh, University of Georgia has uh, several programs. Uh, Julia Gaston is one of the leaders in that area. And, and there are, they are now uh, having uh, classes uh, I, I go to every year in and uh, do a guest presentation on organics. Um, so I wish we had more mentors. Georgia Organics uh, is a great place to go. Contacting through extensions, through, through your county extension office, 
uh, university uh, resources is a great place to go. And so, so there, there are resources there. It just not as many as I'd like to have. We, as a certifying agency, are prohibited from providing advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we can't do that. And if you think about it, it makes a little sense. If we tell you what to do, then we're the auditor of what we just told you to do. Right. And so they have a, it's a fine line, but we are allowed. Now, if a, if a producer says, can I do this, then I can say, yes, that's in compliance, or no, it's not. But I can't tell you what to do. It's a fine line. It's really hurts a lot of times, but it's the way it is. But like I say, Georgia Organics is a great resource. Go through your extension service to get University of Georgia information available on it. Usually the big question is what product can I use? And I send everyone to the uh, Organic Material Review Institute called OMRI. You can find them online, uh, O-M-R-I.org, and and, uh, there's they provide materials that are approved for organic production. Uh, so that's a great resource. Approved based on the organic standards? What happens is, yes, what happens is if I'm a manufacturer of a fertilizer, mm-hmm. that's usually the most frequently asked question, mm-hmm. then you can go to, to Omri and you can search fertilizers and see if that particular product is approved or you can find a product that is approved. That's a fantastic resource. It is, that list of prohibited substances yeah, is it, just... It's, it's a great ooh. resource. So what happens is the fertilizer producer will make an application to Omri. Mm-hmm. They will tell Omri how they manufacture their product, mm-hmm. what their inputs are, what's contained in. And then Omri, by applying the uh, organic standards, will give you a stamp of approval. It's, it's greatly like the underwriter's laboratory approval of an electric product, mm-hmm. UL approved, mm-hmm. okay, means you're not going to get shocked. Mm-hmm. So, so Omri is the same thing, and it's, it's a fantastic resource. I'm really glad you brought that up. I think that's a super valuable right. resource. It is. It is. Yeah, that list is. is huge. So when you say that we're only allowed to say yes or no, mm-hmm. I'm the type of person I don't like hearing no. <laughs> no. So when I do, I kind of go back to the drawing boards, come up with it, and then come back for That's yes right. again. And I'll keep coming back sure. until I hear yes. Sure. Sure. When someone applies for organic certification, mm-hmm. how many times are they allowed to go back to the drawing boards and come as, back for a yes as, answer? As many times as they need to. Okay. What happens here is that you, you apply. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're required to send you, and you can, you can get the application from our website, mm-hmm. uh, georgiacrop.com. Uh, uh, and you'll go to the website, and there'll be a section for organics. You'll click on organics. You'll go down, and you'll find the uh, application. You make the application to us. We, we are required to send you an uh, estimated cost of services. During that time frame, we'll be reviewing the application. We will send you an email, or we may call you and discuss a particular question. You may have to provide more information. Uh, we may say this is not acceptable and you have to give an alternative. So there is what is known as a desk audit that is performed. Once the desk audit is completed and, and we've got all the answers that, that's needed, then we'll set a schedule. We'll come and we'll do an, an on-farm, on-site audit. It could be a processor or a handler facility. It could be a farm. We'll come and do that. Then the auditor records what he finds 
it goes to a reviewer. The reviewer may find some issues. We'll address those. Uh, then at completion of everything, then we give you a certificate. So the process, depending on the complexity of the operation, can be really 20, somewhere between five and six weeks, or it may be longer depending on how many questions we have, some things like that. So uh, it's, it's a continuing process. It's, it's really, I tell everybody, it's not a pass-fail. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a movement to get you certified. That's the object of the game. If we're not there to fail you. We're there to help you and move you on down the line. And 99% of the time, that's exactly what happens. It's very seldom uh, in my experience that we ever say it's, it's, this is not going to work. It's just, it's just very, very seldom that you come up against a, uh, an obstacle that just can't be overcome. That's good to hear. It is. Somebody, because there's a lot of rules, there's a lot of moving parts, so it that's is. not a reason to not apply. Right. I'm curious, right. when you redo things and come back, mm -hmm. does it cost extra money every time you no. make those changes? No, 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 no. no. Okay. We charge a one-time annual fee. It's, okay. an an, it's an annual certification. Okay. So we charge a one-time fee, and that fee is on our website. Mm -hmm. And the only additional cost you incur is if you are a processor handler and you're doing a label, mm -hmm. then we do have to do label reviews and we do charge $50 for those label reviews. But for most of your clients, which are producers, mm -hmm. there is no label requirement. Mm -hmm. And so it's a one-time, uh, the one-time annual fee. So one-time annual fee, one set fee, or is there kind of a sliding scale based on how much you're selling or how much you're producing? The initial fee is slightly higher than the renewal fee okay. because it's you spend more time mm -hmm. there. Makes but sense. it's uh, it, it's a it's an established fee. And there is an exemption from all of these standards for any producers that make less than five thousand dollars a year. Is that correct? Okay, that's a really 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 critical important point. If you produce and market less than $5,000 worth of organic product per year, you still have to go by the rules, mm -hmm. but you do not have to be certified by an agency. Okay. And an example of that would be someone who has a garden and they take their product down to a local farmer's market on Saturday morning or Thursday night or whatever it might be and sell their product. So if you're below the $5,000 threshold, if you want to promote your product as organic, uh, you do have to be uh, in compliance, but there's no requirement. Now, I do, in fact, have some people who like that stamp of approval. And even though they sell less than $5,000, they still participate in the program. But if you sell more than $5,000 worth of product, then you have to be certified organic and you have to have a certificate. And that certificate gives you the right to freely use the terms organic, mm -hmm. produced organic, sure. any anything that says organic on that's it. Right. That's how you get the ticket to use that. That's right. That's okay. what a certificate does. So if you if you were selling uh, to a Kroger mm -hmm. or in the food lunch program, mm -hmm. you you have to have the certificate to prove that you're organic. Uh, if you're selling locally. Then, then, then no. But if you're, if you're going to sell to someone, an institution perhaps, a business or something, then you're, you're going to have to have a certificate. 
where it becomes so interesting from a like a consumer perspective because it's nice to see it because it gives some sense of security of the way yeah, you're growing. It does. But at the same time, if you're my neighborhood farmer and I have access to you, why would it necessarily be worth it to go through it if I if there's transparency there? It's interesting. Yeah, I, I think that there are just a, a lot of people who want to support the organic program. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways they're doing that is is to is to be a even though they sell less than five thousand dollars, they they want to be counted, and they want to be part of that program, and so they they do it. Uh, we we don't have many, but we, we have a few that do. Okay, so now what about speaking of different subjective types of farming, hydroponics uh-huh. is that included in the organic realm at this point? And do you have any experience with certifying any hydroponic practices? We do have some inquiries. Mm-hmm. We don't have a client yet. That does hydroponic. Mm-hmm. It, it is uh, an approved process by the National Organic Program. Biggest limitation is you can't use fish effluent to fertilize your crop with, which a lot of people want to combine fish yes. with hydroponics, and you aren't allowed to do that unless the effluent is sanitized in some some method. Uh, Let me expound for listeners really quickly. uh When you have a hydroponic setup, sometimes a closed loop system is very attractive where you might grow, what is it? It's uh, tilapia. Tilapia are a good, easy fish to grow in just like a horse watering trough. And Mm -hmm. then you have that attached to a system with your plants and you're using the fish waste to, you know, to drift in and fertilize, fertilize right. the greens and then the greens are filtering out the waste and that's keeping the water pure for your tilapia. Right. So this is a super ideal closed loop system, but yes, the fish poop is not sanitary. That's right. That's right. So, so, sorry so that's not, so that's not allowed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, so that's the current limitation. We actually have a hydroponic, a large, large, I'm talking about extremely large, large in the southeast hydroponic operation going in. Mm-hmm. It's being built right now. In Georgia. In Georgia. Nice. But it will, it will be, uh, it will not have any fish involved. It will, it will simply be a, uh, uh, where all the nutrients are provided through, through water. Growing in a greenhouse. Going back to the buffers. Yes. Have you had incidents occur where you have someone in the program who's certified organic and they you may have tested a sample in a random audit and you did find a prohibited substance because we, of drift? No, we, we've been re- we've been very, very lucky mm-hmm. in that respect that we've never had a sample to come back showing a prohibited substance. Wow. So we've been we've been lucky with that. That's and great. and I and I, I think that's all because of uh, oh, that's because of education. Mm-hmm. I think Georgia Organics and ourselves that, that talk about uh, drift, mm-hmm. uh, and whereas the diversity of agriculture in Georgia tends to make that you would think be more of a problem, mm-hmm. it also creates awareness. Mm-hmm. So I think people are very very much aware of of, uh, of the having having to uh, uh, be cautious of, of that sort of thing. Good. That's yeah. good. Going back to the standards, yes, we as Americans get a lot of imports that we end up buying sure. um, from other places. Right. What are the organic standards like in places that we get a lot of our food from, like China, versus our own standards here in the U.S.? 
Well, I don't really know that China has a standard. I do know that there are producers in China that sell product in the United States as organic. Most often, there is a U.S. certifier that actually goes to China to certify that production. And the consumer, there's a couple of things that consumer needs to do to make sure that they're uh, that they're happy with the product they're buying. One of which is is that you can go online to the USDA website, and it will tell you what countries have reciprocal agreements uh, with the United States. And not all products uh, are are covered in that in that agreement. Canada is probably the most closest uh, to our standard. Uh, Japan's very close for some products. The other thing that one can do is that on all organic products, it will tell you who the certifier is. It'll, for, in our case, it says GCIAOCP, mm-hmm. which is Georgia Crop Improvement Association Organic Certification Program. It might say QCS, which is the group out of Florida. If you go back to that website, and you find who is an approved certifier, and their name is on there as a certifier, then you have good assurance that that product, even though it might have been produced in China or Japan or Canada or wherever, that product uh, has met the stringent NOP guidelines. Great. That's really good advice, So those are the two ways to do it. Once again, an informed consumer is, uh, is what you need there. And now to record keeping. Mm. I have worked long and hard to become a type A organized human being in some sense, but I'm very much sympathetic to the fact that that does not come naturally for all people. Correct. How strict are the record keeping requirements and what what does it take to be satisfactory in that realm? Well, I, I try to be an organized person. Mm-hmm. I fail miserably sometimes. <laughs> But uh, record keeping is one of the uh, real tenants, real important parts of the organic program. And the way that I try to explain it is like this. When an auditor comes and does an on-site audit, he has to perform what's known as a traceback audit and a mass balance audit. A traceback audit is predominantly when you are processing a product, then he will take that those ingredients that go into that processed product, mm-hmm. and you have to prove to him that you used an organically produced product, which means you have to, you have to provide the certificate mm-hmm. that was issued with the product you bought to go into the organic product you made. Okay? So I'm producing... Uh, peanut butter, mm-hmm. then you've got to prove to me that the peanuts you purchased to make your peanut butter were produced organically. So you got to have a certificate. If you're putting uh, a flavoring in that peanut, mm-hmm. then you've got to, to tell me through documentation that that flavor you purchased was, in fact, produced organically. Then, so that's known as a trace back. That's the ingredients. All right. The mass balance, uh, and the best example there is if, if I am producing cucumbers to sell organically, then 
I need for you to show me what you sourced organically produced cucumber seed. Mm -hmm. And if you couldn't, then you've got to show me that you planted non-treated cucumber seed. Mm -hmm. then, I then I will, through some resources that I can obtain, determine what the seeding rate is. Mm -hmm. I would know about what the production poundage of cucumbers per quarter acre would be. And then you've got to show me where you sold that production. Mm -hmm. And all of those things had to support themselves. This much seed produces this much cucumber on an average, and, and you show me that. And that's called mass balance. The object of mass balance is to prevent a person from selling more organic product than they could have possibly produced. The object of traceback is to prove to me that you do, in fact, have an organic product. Remember, there's 100% organic, 95% organic, and that depends on labeling. But record keeping is, in fact, the most difficult time for most producers to do, and it is uh, makes it difficult on our auditors to be convinced that what the claim is, is is documented. Documentation is the name of the game. Document, document, document. Would documentation on a napkin scribbled down suffice? Probably not. Okay. Uh, it, it needs to be in, it's kind of like bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. it, it needs to be in some kind of organized uh, uh, method so my auditor can, can audit it. And you know, when you have a rhythm and a routine, then you, most of us tend to be better at it mm -hmm. and, and put it down. And, and quite frankly, uh, we find that the bigger a concern is, the, the better the record keeping is sometimes because they normally have a dedicated person mm -hmm. that does that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas on small producers, it's, it's a lot more difficult. And, uh, uh, but I don't know that I like to use the term strict, but it does need to be adequate and there needs to be documentation. Just telling me that you call three people to obtain organically grown cucumber seed is not adequate. Now, now, if you want to record that, mm -hmm. uh, that I called this number at this time and this was their answer, that's a document. Mm -hmm. I'm good with that. So documentation is probably the key word that people need to keep in mind. Documentation is so important. And I did a blog post on the Law Farm mm -hmm. website just about standard operating procedures and how not only does it make your auditor's life happy, mm -hmm. not only does it make anyone who you want to be transparent to in any way happy, right. But if you have really great, solid, standard operating procedures, you can go on vacation easier and have somebody oh, else yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, jump in and, but, and but, take things over but, to an extent. But documentation, record keeping is, is really uh, one of our more difficult auditing procedures. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody does it different. And we don't dictate how it has to be. Mm -hmm. But it does need to be in a method that you can explain to my auditor so he can follow it. Are there any programs like QuickBooks, but for hey, organic producers? A good question, and I'm not aware of any. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I'm not aware of a, of a program. That's a good point, though. It may be that some of us need to look into... To making one. That's if right. If you're listening, and you don't have anything going on today, start looking into <laughs> yeah, that, make yeah. millions, yeah. and then take me and Terry out on your yacht. Yeah. I do, find, I, I do find, though, uh, that uh, the majority of our people... Are, are uh, computer internet active mm -hmm. and, and a good software program would be mm -hmm. 
really, really good. It'd be wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm still pen and paper, but the rest of the world is pretty much on the... I go back and forth. For a millennial, I'm embarrassing to uh, my generation. Yeah. <laughs> but it would be nice to be right. able to just plug some numbers right. in right. and have it going. Right. Well, I, I will add two things that we've already covered, but I want to reemphasize. Okay. The, the, the two biggest questions that I get mm -hmm. is about land eligibility, mm -hmm. okay? And how do I prove that? Mm -hmm. And the other question that I, I get mo most frequently is, do I have to be certified? Mm -hmm. And we've covered those. And, and land eligibility, uh, you have to have some way to validate to my auditor that there's been no commercial insecticides, herbicides, fertilizers applied within the previous three years. That can be done through some affidavits with neighbors. It can be done with previous owners, affidavits, uh, people who might rent the land previously. It can be done uh, through county agency if you're actively involved in your county agency and knows your operation. Uh, and we can tell a lot by uh, viewing the land and see what it looks like. We don't accept soil tests and some things like that. Unfortunately, we don't do that. So land eligibility is our number one, is, is one of our questions. The, the second thing, we've talked about this a little bit to reemphasize, is if you market more than $5,000 of product and you want to promote it as organically produced, then you have to be certified. Less than $5,000, you do not have to be certified, but you do have to re uh, comply the national organic programs if you want to use the term organic okay there's one particular yes. standard in here that mm -hmm. has me baffled okay and it's the producer must not use lumber treated with arsenate or other prohibited materials for new installations or replacement purposes in contact with soil or livestock correct how close is that in contact well contact means touching in my term so so here here's the deal as I said earlier, the, the National Organic Program is uh, is based on sustainability. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, we all know that arsenic is it's is bad. not is not good uh, <laughs> if if you're a living creature. It's good if you want to preserve wood because it kills the organisms that decay wood. So, uh, if you had livestock and you built a barn or stall out of organic material, that's not good. Now, in contact with the livestock is what I'm really looking for there. Okay. So if you went in and retrofitted a barn and it had uh, arsenic-treated lumber in it mm -hmm. uh, and you built new stalls, then the stalls that the animal has contact with the lumber cannot cannot be pressure-treated. Okay. 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 Uh, of course, there's some new products on the market. Uh, uh, there's one that's salt. Well, that's that's okay. So just using the term pressure treated might be a little bit misleading. It's pressure treated with a prohibited substance is, is, is the defining definition. If you're building a greenhouse, uh, a lot of people like to use pressure treated wood around the bottom because it comes in contact with soil. That's a no-no. Okay. So, so you have to not do that or remove it, do that. But that's... Uh, contact with the livestock, contact with the soil, because uh, the theory being is that if you're planting seed in a greenhouse to develop seedlings, you will not want any lumber in contact with that added soil that you put in there to be in contact with tree lumber. And that makes sense. 
if I'm purchasing a farm mm -hmm. and there is a, an existing greenhouse, do mm -hmm. I need to be concerned about what that lumber was treated with? You do. Okay. You okay. do. Those are good things to know. I don't yeah. think they're yeah, deal yeah, breakers, yeah. but yeah. it's Yeah, it's yeah. Good you, to know. you do. And you, and you may have to do some uh, renovating to get it in compliance. But uh, like I say, it, in the old, when the actual when the standards were, were, were written, mm -hmm. about the only pressure treating you had was with arsenic. Right. And so that's why it's that way. But now, because the environment, not just organic program, but the, uh, attention to the environment, uh, there are some other pressure treating methods that work fairly well. So that's, it's, pressure treated with a prohibited substance would be the operative definition that I'd use. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. That yeah. has been plaguing me sure. for a long time. And so now before I completely wrap up, I do want to sure. ask you a couple quick questions sure. about the food safety stuff. Thank you for all of this wealth of information. Sure. But before we wrap it up, this is your last chance. Anyone who's listening and wants to, to, to apply for certification, right. do you have any final things you want to leave them with or things you need them to know before they call your office? Well, I, uh, like I say, we've covered this, but I do want to reemphasize it, that don't be intimidated or become overwhelmed when you're making the application. We, we're here to assist. Georgia Organics will assist. Uh, it's not a pass-fail. It's a continual working with you to get you to the place where you can fulfill your dream of, of growing organically. And, and we're patient, sometimes more patient with some people than others, but we're, we're patient and, we're, and it's, no, it's no fee for asking questions. And we want to work with people to get to the end goal. And we, like I say, it's not a thing where you pass it or you fail it. Even when we come out to make an audit mm -hmm. and we find a non-compliance issue, most non-compliance issues can be corrected. And so we write it up as a non-compliance. You tell us how you're going to fix it. We say, yes, that's acceptable or not. We fix it. We're going down the road. So it's a process, and it's a continuing process. And uh, do remember that uh, audits are annual. Certification is annual and that uh, there's annual fee. Okay. And you can go to Georgia Crop, it's spelled at G-E-O-R-G-I-A-C-R-O-P dot com. You'll find our website, you'll find the, the uh, uh, tab for organic, hit on that and uh, go down and find what you need to know. There's a manual in there that tells you a lot of our policies, the fee structure is there, the applications are there. So uh, we try to make it as easy as possible. It's great. Yeah. I love hearing that straight from the certifier's <laughs> well, mouth. Yeah. And then real quickly, and this yeah. might even be like a little blivet introduction to the next time I come out here to visit sure. you and sure. we'll record another podcast. Sure. But um, talk to me about, because the food safety program mm. that you run has right. been around since the 90s. Right. And the Food Safety Modernization Act has right. really put that on people's radar, especially producers. It has. Um, yes. How does the program that you've been running sort of coexist with the new federal requirements, and are there any changes? Well, we 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 have actually two different uh, food safety programs that we run. Mm -hmm. One, as I mentioned earlier, is the Georgia Food and Vegetable Growers Association. That's where a, a client makes the application to. Okay. Uh, they they receive the application. We are the third party inspector for that program. We utilize uh, the technical expertise from the uh, uh, University of Georgia Food Technology Department. 
and we do sampling for uh, residue sampling with the George Department of Agriculture. So there's actually four partners within this program. And the Good Agricultural Practice Program is our basic program. Uh, we suggest that program for people who are just beginning a food safety program. It covers all of the significant important bases. Uh, it helps you in getting started with your, uh, uh, with your paperwork, your documentation, setting up training classes, Georgia Fruit and Vegetable Growers and the University of Georgia Food Technology Department is real instrumental in providing training for new people and continuing training. And then we also operate with a company called Primus Labs. It's P-R-I-M-U-S Labs out of California. They have a much more sophisticated program that we audit to. The Primus audits are recognized by the uh, major companies such as your big food chains, mm -hmm. your wholesalers and those, those kind of people that, have, uh, uh, that are national in ranking. Mm -hmm. Uh, that way they have a uniform standard all over the United States. Right. So we do Primus affiliated audits. And as I said earlier, these audits are predominantly for packing facilities. People who do watermelons, cantaloupes, carrots, cucumbers, green beans, vade onions, uh, growers are, are a big part of, of, of our program. If you process in any shape, form, or fashion, then you have to be approved by the Georgia Department of Agriculture. So there's, there's a clear distinction between processing what, what they do and packaging uh, or is, is what we do. So that's our program. And we've got, uh, I think that we did about $300 in 2017. So it's a big program for us. Uh, we have three auditors that do that. And we have clients in Florida and in Georgia. That's a voluntary uh, audit just to have more credibility to your practices. Well, it is volunteer, mm -hmm. voluntary, mm -hmm. but if you're going to sell to Kroger, Publix, Walmart, you have to be in a third-party uh, food safety program. Okay. Yep. It's a, a significant liability. I mean, we hear all the time about food safety issues. Absolutely. And, and that's what we're trying to do is protect the consumer. Right. And uh, so we've been very fortunate in that and uh, have a real good program. My uh, program manager has a degree in food technology, so he's he's, he's well-versed in that sort of thing. Yeah. So, uh, so it's been a good program, I think, for the consumer and for the producer. Has it had to change a lot in response to the new Food Safety Modernization Act, or has actually, already those Actually, things? it has not. Great. We, uh, those programs were actually Maybe ahead of the ahead of the curve. Fantastic. Uh, they're they're all using best manufacturing production practices, mm -hmm. and so we've made very very little uh, change, and uh, it's come about by the Food Modernization Act. Good, 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 good. Yeah, we were we're very happy with that. We uh, we believe that uh, Georgia Fruit and Vegetable Growers was very active in uh, working with the federal government in establishing that act. So uh, with all of our experience is really carried over into that so so we're, we're pretty happy about that yeah awesome terry thank you so much for your time thank you. and i hope listeners realize what yeah. a wealth of resources the sure. crop improvement association is and especially you and the information you have and the sure. experience 
Um, so I just can't thank you enough for taking the time. I've enjoyed it. To give this information. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Check out the description of the podcast or thelawfarm.com for more information on the resources mentioned in today's episode. I want to give a big thank you to Andy Kez for sharing her music with the Law Farm podcast. A link to the full song on iTunes is in the description. As always, eat well, be inspired, and support your local food systems.